in and, and take charge of those things so they can be gone. Uh, week three of our series on margin, uh, and, and we're going to be looking at uh, maybe something a little different today. Um, on a day like today, today's a day that after we dismiss uh, here in a little bit, we are going to have our annual congregational meeting. We're going to ask uh, those who are members of PCC to uh, confirm our new leadership team members. We're going to talk a little bit about our, our mission and vision and, and briefly about what the ministries, the different ministries of the church are doing and, and what they're up to. And on a day like today, I think it's important that we spend just a little bit of time uh, remembering that we are called as a church and as individuals to share with people the saving message of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. And we, along with all the other churches in our area and around the world, whose mission is to share Jesus, one of the things that can happen if we're not careful is we can begin to neglect the mission of what we've been called to do. And we can uh, forget the fact that there are thousands of people around us each and every day who do not yet have a relationship with Christ. If we're not diligent, we can slip into the same type of problem experienced by the London bus system. I don't know if you heard this story. Uh, The story is told that some years ago, the, the London Transit Authority was receiving a lot of complaints because their buses were driving right by customers who were standing at the bus stops. And so they did a, a, an investigation, and the transit authority put an explanation in the paper that has become infamous with public relations departments. The explanation said this, It is impossible for us to maintain our schedule if we are always having to stop and pick up passengers. <laughs> I kind of thought that was the purpose of the bus system, I don't know, but the purpose of the bus system is to do What? pick up and drop off passengers to take them where they want to go. And we as a church and as individuals, we cannot forget that what we have been called to do is to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ as we go to those who are far from the Lord, as we love them with the love of Christ, and as we teach them the truth found in His Word. The church is the only organization that exists for people who are not yet members that's what we need to be and should be all about. But if, if we're not careful, we can forget that fact. Do you realize that this weekend, that there are more people who are not in church than are in church, according to statistics? And do you know why? Well, it's not because of the weather. It's not because of some special event. It's not the Pro Bowl, right, that people are, right? It, it's actually true every weekend of every year, and according to the last study that I read, it's even true on Easter weekend and around Christmas time. That is in spite of the fact that 91% of Americans surveyed, 9 out of 10, say they believe in God, and yet they're not going to church. So why is that? I I think it's important that we kind of ask that question. Why don't people go to church? I invite you to grab your bulletin and follow along. We're going to fill in a few blanks and do a few things, but a friend of mine did some very unscientific and a very informal survey. He simply went around and started asking people, do you go to church? He's got that type of personality that it just doesn't phase him to really bother people. So he asked them, do you go to church? And if they said no, he said, well, why don't you? Or to kind of let him off the hook a little bit, he said, why do you think people don't go to church? And here's a bunch of the answers he received. Church is just a money-making scheme. Church is very rigid and exclusionary. God loves you, except if you are this or that. The messages are always about money. People drink too much on Saturday nights. 
Church is boring. It's a complete waste of time. It's hard to believe in something you cannot touch. The church is not up to date with society as it changes. This is one of my favorites. People really like to sleep in on Sunday. All right. They don't have a choir. Church is something that was needed in the 50s and 60s, but now this newer generation moving past it and finding new outlets for faith. I don't know when to sit, stand, kneel, sing. The Bible is not true. Religion is a crutch. Church is just a weird cult. And church is full of hypocrites. Have you ever said that? You don't have to raise your hand. This is a, you know, just reflective time. Have you ever said any of those excuses? Have you ever heard any of those excuses? Lots of excuses as to why people do not go to church or reasons people don't go to church. Thousands of people have been surveyed officially, and in lots of these surveys, there seems to be four common reoccurring reasons why people don't go to church. And I invite you to write these down. The first one is, church is irrelevant. The church is irrelevant. It's not relevant to my daily life. Uh, People say, I needed help with my marriage or with my kids or with my finances. I was struggling with an addiction. I got pregnant and needed help. So I decided to go to church to see if I could find some hope. But when I went, I could not figure out what they were talking about. And if that's church, why would I want that? Church was very irrelevant. Second reason people give in this research is church is boring. It's the same thing every week. People say they remember as a child going to church that it was the longest hour of their life. Then they went back and they realized that nothing had changed. It was still the same. Everyone was still in the same pew. The order of service hadn't changed. The preacher was preaching the same old tired message. It was just boring. Third reason people say they don't go to church, overbearing pastor. So, you, no, I'm just kidding. Um, People get beaten down during the week and in their life all the time, and they go to church, and when they arrive at church, they get beaten up there as well. They don't hear the words of love or hope or grace. It's interesting to me that that the people were quick to point out that they didn't want the pastor to compromise the truth or to pretend that everything was okay. They were simply looking for pastors who could communicate truth and act like Jesus in the process. They wanted His grace, Jesus' grace, along with that truth. Fourth reason, church is only interested in money. And here's what they reason. You know, if church is irrelevant, if church is boring, if church makes me feel worse when I leave than when I arrive, then why in the world would I want to give to an organization like that? So anytime they mention money, it's just, oh, that's what they're all about. And honestly, that's a pretty good point. So here's the question. Do you think that the people's perception of church is God's design for the church? Do you think when God was setting up this idea of church and as churches were being spread out uh, throughout the known world, that God's desire for the church was to to have church services that are dull and boring, boring, that have no uh, point or no practical application to daily life? Do you think that God wants leaders to beat people up and to berate them and make them feel guilty about themselves? I don't think it takes a theologian to say, well, no, right? That's probably not God's plan. I think God's plan is a more compelling vision for the church. So what is it that God wants for the church? Well, here at PCC, we do not claim that we do everything right. We do not claim to be a perfect church because you are here. That was, supposed to, that was funnier in my head, right? <laughs> so we don't do everything right. We're not a perfect church. We have a lot of places to grow, and we acknowledge the fact that keeping the main thing, the main thing is oftentimes difficult because 
as an organization and because we're made up of, of individual people, we get distracted just like everything else in life. And so it's healthy for us to ask questions, are we doing the main thing? Are we keeping the main thing the main thing? Over the past couple of weeks, uh, I've issued you two different challenges. In the first week, the challenge was to spend five minutes alone with God doing nothing. And why did we talk about that? Well, we talked about that to kind of break our, our idolatry. Because we have in our society this idea that if I'm not busy, then I'm not being productive. And if I'm not being productive, then I'm not valuable. And if I'm not valuable, I'm not important. And it just goes from us being busy all the time. And so as a way to kind of stop that and for us to find our true identity and our true value in God, it's just to stop, to be still and know that he is God, to break that. Last week, we, I challenged you to, to spend that five minutes every day and also add five minutes of reading God's word, reading a psalm, reading a proverb, uh, reading the, the gospel of John or one of the epistles or the story of Esther or Nehemiah, something. Just read God's word and allow him to speak to you to see what God is trying to tell you. And, and why do we do those things? I'm not trying to give you those things just so you can have something else to do to you know, make us feel better. And we go, hey, we had 25 people. Actually. No, we do that so that you can begin to, to align yourself with God. So you can see how God is wanting to move and, and be active in your life. So that we can be in communion with Him and, and we can walk with Him. In Luke chapter 15, and if you're reaching for a blue Bible, and I invite you to turn there, and if you're reaching for a blue Bible, it'll be on page 740 is, is where you'll find uh, Luke chapter 15. Luke records for us three stories and three parables which I think kind of capture what the main thing is for us as a church. And, and I want to suggest that the values that Jesus uh, communicates in this passage of Scripture is, is what we all should kind of be striving for. And it's something that we all need to be thinking about. And, and as a church, we're looking at it. And as individuals, we need to be looking at it as well. And I want to encourage you to read Luke chapter 15. Don't do it now. Don't take your five minutes of Bible reading time now, okay? I want you to do it later. Uh, normally what we do is I would read the scripture, we would put it on the screen behind me, and you know, we can kind of walk through all that. We're, we're not going to do that today. I, I want to encourage you just to go home and read this story, these three parables at some point today or tomorrow this week. Do that. Right now, I just want to share these stories with you and as we kind of walk through them. So let me set the scene for you. Jesus is teaching in a really busy downtown area, and he has gathered before him all these people who are considered to be ungodly and irreligious people, people that are outside the margin of what the, the Jewish people and then the Pharisees and Sadducees would consider people worthy of their time. And Jesus has gathered these people around him, and he's talking to them. And over to the side is this other group of people, the group of people that were the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were standing off to the side, kind of watching what Jesus was doing with those people. And, and they could not figure Jesus out. Because in their mind, it made absolutely no sense for Jesus, who is this religious leader, if you will, claiming to be a rabbi, someone who's also claiming to be the Son of God, why would someone like that be hanging out with people like that? They could not wrap their brains around that. So they were trying to figure this out. And Jesus, in this setting, he tells these three stories. And I think one of the reasons he tells these stories is to show the religious people standing over to the side, here's why I'm choosing to spend time with what you call those people. Story number one. It's about a shepherd. And this shepherd has a hundred sheep. And one of the things you need to know about a shepherd at this time is that they lived with their sheep. 
They were with their sheep 24-7. They, they loved their sheep. Oftentimes they named all of their sheep and they, they knew their sheep very well. It was more than just a job. The shepherd genuinely cared for and was concerned about the sheep. I remember seeing this with my grandpa and the cattle. I grew up uh, on a farm, and, and he had, we had a, a lot of cattle, and he knew his herd. He knew which ones he would need to pay extra special attention to. He knew which ones were bullheaded, and he needed to whack them on the you know, head with the stick. He knew which ones he needed to keep an eye on so they didn't get sick. He, he knew his herd. He knew how to take care of the cattle. And a shepherd who spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week with his sheep, he knew his sheep. He cared for his sheep. And in this story, one of his hundred sheep wanders off. Now, he still has the 99 other sheep with him, but that one, it mattered to him. And so he takes his shepherd's staff and he goes out and he begins looking for that one lost sheep. And after he searches high and low for this sheep, he finds it. And he picks it up and he puts it on his shoulders and he carries it back and he tells the other shepherds and his friends and neighbors, he says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus goes on to story number two. He tells about a woman, a woman who had ten coins. And these ten coins probably represented the entirety of her material possessions, her, her money that she had at that point. And she lost one of these coins in the house. Now let me ask you what you would do if 10% of your wealth was lost in your house somewhere. What would you do? You'd look for it, Right? And that's exactly what this woman does. She grabs a broom and she grabs a lamp and she begins going through the house, cleaning and straightening. She turns the house upside down to find it. And then she finally finds it. And when she finds it, she, she then calls her friends and her neighbors and she says, rejoice with me for what was lost has been found. Then Jesus begins a third story. He tells this story to the people who are standing in front of him who are far from God. I also think he tells it uh, maybe primarily for the religious leaders who are standing off to the side. And he tells a story about a father who had two sons. We commonly refer to this story as the story of the prodigal son. The one son came to his father and said, I want my inheritance and I want it now. In that day and age, in that culture, that was as good as saying, my father, I wish you were dead. You are as good as dead to me. I want what I want and I want it now. Give it to me. And I have to think that the father's heart was broken when this happened. He was not ready to let his son go. He knew that his son wasn't ready to go out on his own. But he gave him his inheritance and he helplessly watched his son walk away. And as a parent, if you've ever had to watch your ill-prepared child rush out into the world, you know what a gut-wrenching experience that is. This father, this father had hope. And from this story, it's almost as if he daily scanned the horizon, looking and hoping that his son would return. His son goes off to this distant country, and he spends all of his wealth and all of his inheritance on wild living. And after his money runs out, his friends leave him. His integrity is gone. His pride was gone. We would say today that he finally hit rock bottom. He found himself as a good Jewish boy working on a pig farm, slopping the pigs, and he's so hungry that he longs to eat the food that he's serving the pigs. And I just have to say, having done that, you've got to be really hungry, okay? And it's in that moment he realizes, I can do better than this. I I've made a mistake. I need to go home. And so he does. 
As he heads for home, he begins working on a speech he's going to give to his father. And as he's walking and as he's rehearsing, his father sees him on the horizon. And the text says that as the father saw his son coming down the path, that he ran to him. Now, a side note, a Jewish man would not be seen running in public during this time frame because it was considered improper and inappropriate and just the wrong thing to do. But the father doesn't care. He doesn't care what's appropriate at that point. He runs to his son. He throws his arms around him. He calls out to his servants and he says, bring the robe, bring the, bring the ring, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party because the son of mine that was lost has been found. He's back. And there was much rejoicing. And in these three stories, I think Jesus is trying to communicate something that's very important. Some truths and some values that we need to take note of. Just as the, shep- the sheep was valuable to the shepherd, just as the coin was valuable to the woman, and just as the son was valuable to the father, Jesus is saying, these people that are standing here in front of me, they are valuable to me. These people who you religious leaders consider far from God, irreligious, ungodly, not worthy of your time, those that are outside the margin, I love them. They are valuable to me. And that's why we do what we do as a church. It's why we, in our mission statement, say that we want to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ because literally there are thousands of people within a stone's throw of this building that do not yet have a relationship with Christ. And every single one of them are important and they matter to God. Do you believe that? They matter to God, and that means they should matter to us as well. At the very center of Jesus' life, you would find this passion to search for people who are outside the margin. Jesus spent a lot of his time with people who did not fit the norm, people who were not considered to to fit in with the religious institution of the day. And can I tell you, that's one of the things that has has just mesmerized me about PCC since I've uh, been here. PCC seems to be a place where people who are not connecting with their family religion or people who are are searching for meaning and significance come here and they start to find a relationship with Jesus and they start to find that they matter to God. We are a bunch of misfit toys here in this church. We really are. And it's cool. And I always think that a lot of the reasons why we're a bunch of misfits is because you kind of look a lot like me. I'm a misfit too. And we're all here together because of Jesus, because of, because of Him, because of what He has done for us, because of His passion for us and His passion for the lost. So how do we communicate Jesus? A couple of things I want to suggest. I think we find these, these uh, suggestions or these things here, these methods in the story that Jesus told. The first one is we need to aggressively seek people. Think about the first two stories for a moment. The shepherd kept looking for his sheep. The the woman kept searching for her coin. And PCC cannot become a place where those who are in a relationship with God can just come and be content. All of us who who have been found by God and we have a saving relationship with Him, we can't just come in and say, hey, I'm good, so everything's good, and I can just be content with where I am. Let me ask everyone who is a a believer, who's a follower of Christ, a couple of questions, and you don't have to raise your hand or answer, just think about these. But when was the last time you engaged someone 
in conversation who does not have a relationship with the Lord and you really talk to them about what's really going on in their life? When was the last time you invited someone who does not go to church, not to come to church, but instead to go to a ball game or out to dinner or to do something with them or them with you so that you can build a relationship with them and you can start finding that that common ground? Do you invest your time into the people around you who maybe think differently about God than you do? Do you have the eyes of Jesus who, who look at at an individual and see someone as valuable to God? Or do we look at people through the eyes of the religious leaders when we look at people and we see that that they're just too far gone, they're not worth my time, they're not worth my investment, I can do something else instead? Now some of you, you have the opportunity, challenge, whatever word you want to use there, every day because you are around people who are far from God. They don't go to church. They don't have a relationship with God. So here's a different question for you. When was the last time you tried to influence someone to be more like Jesus because of the way you live your life, by your example, by the things you say or don't say, by the things you do or the things you don't do? When was the last time you set that example? When was the last time you kind of shared, hey, the reason is because of God? Here's what I'm thinking about God. When when was the last time you extended an invitation to someone to maybe come to church or even maybe better yet say, hey, you want to go to church? I'll go wherever you want to go. And you go with them wherever they want to go. And you help them along their journey. You you invest in them because they're valuable to God. How are you building relationships in Christ? Are you aggressively seeking out people who are valuable to God? You know, as a church, we do a decent job, but not an amazing job at this. We do a decent job at presenting opportunities to connect with people in our community. We do events like the the movie night coming up Friday night. And if you don't know about it, I'm telling you about it right now. Friday night, movie night. This place is going to smell like popcorn next Sunday morning, so you just will come Friday night and enjoy the popcorn, okay? You need a canned good to get in. We're going to watch Despicable Me 2. Despicable Me 2, did I say that right? Yes. And it's just going to be a time where... You may have friends and neighbors or family that would never want to come to church. Well, they can come to church without coming to church. Invite them. And while it's great that that you come, we don't do it just for you. Invite your friends and neighbors. Do things like that. We, We have the Easter egg hunt. Do we do the Easter egg hunt because we need one more thing to do on Sunday morning? No, because people from the community come to that event. People who never come to church, they they come and they think, well, this is good. You didn't try to beat me over the head with Jesus. You just let my kids enjoy this. We have teen events. We have activities. We have special events. We had a comedy night a while back that was a great success. We, we, we have a fall kickoff. And, and while we do want you, don't, don't misunderstand, we do want you to participate and attend, we also want you to bring people. To bring those who maybe have not connected with the church, those that don't have a relationship with Christ. We have events here in the building. We have AA groups. We have small groups. We have consignment sales, music classes, choir rehearsals, all this kind of stuff in the building every week because we enjoy cleaning up after them because they pay us so much in rent. No, because we want this building to be used more than just what we do. We want it to be used by the community so that people who come through the doors, maybe it's the only time they come through the doors 
because they don't yet have a relationship with Christ. And as great as those activities and events are, the real difference, what's really going to make a difference in our community and in your community, is you. As individuals, we have to be willing to go to people, to love them. We need to love them with His love. We need to aggressively seek them out. We need to invite them. We need to lead by example. We need to share what God is doing in our life. Just share your story. Here's the second method we find in this story of how we communicate Jesus. A welcome environment. A welcome environment. Did you notice in the first two stories, the shepherd went looking for his sheep. The woman was looking for her coin. But in the third story, the father was not out actively searching for his son. Why not? Because he knew he couldn't, right? The truth is, if he would have gone after his child, his child would have ran farther away. And again, some of you parents, you can relate to that. As a father, all he could do was patiently wait and hope his son would return out of his own free choice and out of his own free will. And what the father did was hope and pray that all the years that he'd invested in his son, all the times that, that it had gone well in his home, that he'd, that he'd made his house a welcome environment, a place that he knew his son could come, come home to, so that one day when he reached the point, like the father probably knew he would, where he would have nothing left, that he could come home and be welcomed home even if he was ashamed of everything that he had ever done. And we as a church, our desire is for people to want to be here. And again, I know we don't do it perfectly, but we're striving to constantly do it better. You know, we do a meet and greet time each week, right? And what do we ask you to do? Stand up and shake hands and say hi to people, right? Can I tell you we don't do that so that you can say hi to the people you already know? This is not a social time for you for that. We do that so that the people who are here the first, second, third, maybe fourth time, they can meet new people and and maybe connect and they can see that this is a place full of messed up people just like they are. And they can be welcomed. Maybe make a connection. Find that, that this is a good place to be. For many of you, PCC has provided an opportunity for you to either reconnect with God or to connect with God for the first time. I'm really excited about an upcoming message series we're going to do uh, beginning in the middle of March. Uh, we're, we're gonna, the plan is to share many of your stories as to how God has gotten a hold of your life and how people here at PCC have, have influenced you and, and through the different ministries and different things that we've been able to do and that God has really done, that lives have been changed. And, and, and it's, it's going to be, uh, ho- hopefully, if it all comes together like it is in my brain right now, it's going to be great. It's going to be encouraging. Because there are people like the Sunday we had all the snow and the, the ice, you know, the first Sunday of the year when, you know, both of you were here and we appreciate you both being here on, on that Sunday morning. <laughs> the one person said to me, I just simply cannot imagine not being here. People need time to explore for themselves what Jesus is really like and who he really is, to discover him, to experience him, and to let him, not the pastor, not you, not a ministry, not any program, or, or it, but to let God change their life. Because when God gets a hold of someone's life and he changes their life, then it is, it's amazing. And it is something that we will all rejoice with and share. It's, it's the kind of church 
that we're striving to be. And it's hard to do that, but we're going to give it our best effort. We, we want to be a church where people feel welcomed and where they can connect so that they have a better opportunity to hear what God is doing and what God wants to do in their life and so that they know they matter to God. And, and if you hear nothing else today, I hope that you understand that you are important to God, that you matter, and you are valuable, and he loves you very much. So what happens when we uh, aggressively seek after people and what happens whenever we uh, create these, uh, these life-changing environments? Well, uh, the first thing we have to do is, is we have to figure out how to do that in a better way. You see, it's important that on a Sunday morning that we do things right and, and we provide opportunities for people to connect. And, and what I want you to see is that um, when people come through the doors on a Sunday morning, it's, it's a different experience for a lot of people. If you're part of the, the people who, um, on a, when it's your rotation or whatever, if you help set up the communion or make the coffee, uh, those of you who, who work in the, the tech booth and in the sound booth, those, the, the band members, all the people that do those things, the, the people that greet at the doors and the connect team that, that serve in here, I just want to say thank you because you're creating this welcome environment for people to come in and have an opportunity to experience Christ. So thank you for that. And having said that, I want to say this, and if you're a visitor, first, second, third, maybe fourth time, if you could just not listen for just a minute, this is not for you, okay? But for those of you who consider uh, PCC home, I just want to step on your toes for just a moment, okay? I want to express to you how important it is for you not only to be here, and not only to be here on time, but even to be here a few minutes early on a Sunday morning. Because do you know who walks through those doors and then through these inner doors at about 9.50 on a Sunday morning into a mostly empty auditorium? Visitors. And yes, they're greeted by the people at the exterior doors. And yes, they're greeted by the Connect team on this doors. And I try to make my way over and say hi to them. And that's all well and good. But we get absolutely no credit for that. You know Why? Because that's your job on a Sunday morning. That's what you're supposed to do. I typically get credit for it until I get up here. And then they're like, oh, he's the pastor. Of course he's going to be friendly to me, right? I'm going to be friendly anyway, just for the record. But, but we, we don't get any credit for that because it's what we're supposed to do. Studies have shown that the average person determines within the first 11 minutes of visiting a church whether or not they will return. 11 minutes. Which is why if you're not here, and if you're not here to welcome people and to start building relationships, then we miss out on an opportunity to share with someone who is searching. Because can I tell you, people don't typically start going to church because everything in their life is just hunky-dory. Usually there's something going on. They have a question, they're in crisis, they're searching, and they need a place where they can connect, they need a place where they're valued, they need a place where they're important. And the sad part is, and the scary part is, whether it's fair or not, a lot of times the experience people have with church is the same experience that they equate to God. In other words, if I show up at church and I'm not important to the people at church, then I must not be important to God. Fair or not, that's the assumption people make. Worship didn't seem to be that important, so it must not be that important to God. The church was not very welcoming. I, I guess God must not want me either. People need a place where they can come and they can be welcomed and they can be encouraged. A place where they don't have to be embarrassed about not knowing everything about the Bible or about the Scriptures or, or about everything. Do you understand that's why I share the number of the page number each week in the Blue Bible? That's why we have those Bibles. 
not for you who come every week. You should be bringing your own Bible. It's for those who don't have a Bible or those who don't yet know Christ and they're here and they just, they just kind of want to blend in and not be pointed out and made fun of. It's why we don't have visitors stand and we don't put a big name tag on that says, hi, I'm a visitor, because that just announces to the world, hey, I'm the oddball and I don't belong. And if you've ever been to a church that does that, you understand how awkward that is. We want to be a place that is welcoming to people. We want to be a place where people can know that they matter to God. And so what happens when we create these environments? Well, Jesus in this story, the natural response was to celebrate. And at the end of each story, Jesus says they called people together and celebrate. And at the end of the first story, the, the story of the lost sheep, Jesus says to the religious leader, I, I, in my brain at least, this is the gospel according to Craig, in my brain he turns to them and says this. He says, I tell you the truth, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 who do not need to repent. I think he's making a point. He's making a point that it's important that people do this, and that's why it is so exciting when someone turns their life over to Christ. It's why we celebrate when someone surrenders their life to Christ. You do understand that we do not have a response time at the end of every service simply because we can't think of another way to end the service, right? There's lots of different things we could do, but we think it's important that we give you the opportunity to respond to what God is doing in your life, what maybe God has told you in this time, our time together, so that you have a time to respond to what God is saying to you. My prayer for myself as a pastor and, and for this church, every one of us who attends PCC, is that we would never allow the focus to be only upon ourselves that we wouldn't forget about the thousands of people that we come in contact with every day who do not yet know Jesus. We must not forget that our mission and our vision is to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ as we go to those who are far from God. We love them with the love of Christ and we teach them the truth in His Word. That's our mission. That's our vision. That's what we're about. And as your senior pastor, I want you to know that I'm not content, I'm just not comfortable. It's, it's been a, a wrestling in my spirit for the last couple of years, and I'm still trying to, trying to figure that out. I have what Bill Hybels calls this holy discontent, and I can't put my finger on it. But I'm inviting people into my life to challenge me and to help me grow and to, to guide me as I strive to diligently serve here at PCC. And, and we need people who are, who are willing to be creative and aggressive in our ministries. We need people who are willing to hold each other accountable and to ask the difficult questions. We need to explore additional ways of sharing Christ with our community and trust God with the results. We want to be a church that honors God and represents Him well. And in doing so, I think people will continue to say that there's a church that is relevant. There's a church that's full of passion and life. There's a church that I, where I feel welcomed and accepted. There's a church where I'm valued and where I matter. There's a church that I don't have to have it all together to go. I want this church to be a church like that. Do you? Man, I hope you do. I hope you want to be that type of church. A church that puts the value on the individuals. So that together as a body of believers... We can honor God and seek first his kingdom. And so how will you respond? How, how will you respond today? I mean, today you have the opportunity to respond. Chris is going to come and he's going to lead us in a song where we're going to stand and we're going to sing together. And as we do that, you can respond. Again, this response time is not just a way to close the service. It's an opportunity for you 
to respond to what God is doing. It's an opportunity for you to respond to use your gifts and your talents and investing your, your passions and, and your abilities into furthering his kingdom. It's a time for you to respond. So, so how will you respond? Will you respond by encountering people who are far from God? Will you respond by, by being rejoiceful when, when the lost are found? How will you respond? Maybe today you need to respond by just making your way over to the cross here in just a minute where we can pray with you and, and talk with you and encourage you and, and hold you accountable. Maybe it's time for you to, to surrender your life to Christ for the first time. Maybe you, you just simply want someone to just be with you, to know you're not alone, to know your value, to know you're important to God. How will you respond today? We get the privilege, I get the privilege of inviting you to receive God, to respond to his invitation to you. So how will you respond today? Stand with me. Chris is going to lead us. You make your way over to the cross. We would love